Hello folks. Byung Chul Han is a German Korean philosopher. His work has come to prominence in the last ten or so years. In terms of his intellectual lineage, Han presents a shift. He is certainly directly influenced by key thinkers in the tradition of continental philosophy, namely Martin Heidegger and Michel Foucault. However, his own philosophy also marks a movement beyond these thinkers, where Foucault and Heidegger both offer their own respective version of the ailments of modernity's technological expansion, Heidegger's concern over network society, Foucault's society of panopticon surveillance. Han suggests that these concepts need to be revised because we now live in a whole new order of neoliberal governance. In Han's terms, the changes in subjectivity wrought by the transition from industrial capitalism to digital capitalism needs a whole new philosophical grammar. His work, therefore, attempts to make sense of a number of things. What life is like in the late capitalist societies of the 21st century? The effective consequences of technological acceleration? How mental health has deteriorated in Western democracies? And the deleterious consequences of freedom and positivity? In this lecture, I will begin by explaining how Han approaches the question of time. The dysfunctions of time and temporality are, in my view, the core idea in Han, the one which makes all his other ideas intelligible. Subsequently, I will turn to outlining some of the effective conditions which occurs because of our dysfunctional relation to time. Finally, I will explain some forms of resistance which Han thinks are absolutely crucial to rehumanize ourselves. Part 1. The Order of Time If there is one common denominator in Han's work, it is that we have forgotten about time. The forgetting of time is perhaps one of Han's most Heideggerian concepts. Heidegger himself drew a distinction between chronological time and ecstatic time. Chronological time was time that is measurable, ordered, countable and structured. It is a time of the clocks, the second, minutes, hours and so forth. The trouble with clock time was that it generated an atomization of time, where time is understood as a sequence of nows. The problem, then, for Heidegger, was that it was a fundamentally calculative as well as a historical approach to time. Why historical, though? Well, because atomized time is time concentrated in the present moment. There is no felt span between future and past. In turn, this form of time generated a measurable social order, where we scurry to meet the demands of our quantitative temporal culture. Now, I don't think Heidegger is saying that quantitative time is not useful. It certainly is useful for organising our workplaces, our schedules and our leisure time. The point is, though, that we forget the real existential value of time. In Heidegger's view, this was what was called ecstatic time, or the lived time where past, present and future coalesce. There is something useless about ecstatic time. It is time which is disposable, not guided by instrumental reason, and time which gives us a sense of the stakes of our mortality. It might be hard to think of that which is useless as holding value, but if you think about it, the freest, the most fun, the most creative things we do, often are those things we do for the hell of it. When we do not enter the order of transactional exchange or when we are not governed by the order of a schedule. Byung-Chul Han follows this logic to a point. 
for Han, one of the most diminished things today is our sense of duration. That is Han's Heideggerian sense of time coming true. Duration is ecstatic time. A world bereft of duration is a world where humans lose the sense of mattering time. Or the time where the present is palpable with a meaningful sense of both past and future. One of the side effects of a society of technical time, quantitative time, is that we are losing a sense of memory. Networked society ruthlessly undermines any sense that time can congeal due to informational saturation. The more information we are exposed to, the more we become subject to timeless neutrality. The more we become subject to timeless neutrality, the more we become subject to the pursuit of particular goals. This is instrumental reason of the First Order. Time is only valuable as it pursues means towards particular telos or particular goals. I must do this to get that. I must watch my clock to carry out certain tasks. I must work if I want to fulfil the duties which I need in order to survive. Once we combine this insight with technological acceleration, we see that our contemporary understanding of time is two features. On the one hand, time is only ever related to the moment, the present. But secondly, and consequently, the present moment is illusory. The time of the present is something which can be infinitely divided into which more tasks can be fitted, and which if we pursue this logic to its conclusion, then we are imposing upon ourselves the impossibility of completing an infinity of tasks. Thus, for Han, we are facing psychological and metaphysical burnout on a grand scale. Temporal shrinkage means more. More things to do, more tasks to complete, more labour to be expended, more psychological effort, more status to achieve, and really, nothing is ever enough. This reveals, I think, a difference between Han and Heidegger. Where Heidegger limited the reduction of ecstatic time to a simple present, Han sees the present as wholly mutilated into an infinity of impossible tasks to be accomplished. Han poses this in poetic terms. Contemporary accelerated time is like an avalanche, a cascade of distractions, attention-grabbing, and the self-imposition of a litany of commitments. We feel as if everything is available to us, as if we were gods who could traverse time and space. But, in fact, this means we are becoming increasingly paralysed. For Han, this bespeaks a dysfunctional relationship with possibility. In the present, rather than being a model of lingering, reflection and consideration, the now is saturated by the technological acceleration, at a time which paradoxically gives us no time. The acceleration of time is intensified by a constant assault of the new. This is why we are so addled with new fads. Nothing is any longer of present concern. We are always being subject to the shock of the new to such a degree we develop things like empathy fatigue and even forget to have compassion for ourselves. Because our thought is now a by-production of a technical procession of events, we can only really encounter things fleetingly. Thus, the curse of modern time is the curse of the ephemeral. Consequently, because things are so fleeting, evanescent, they lack metaphysical depth, heft, real substance, nothing has gravitas any longer. 
where it is no longer possible to discern, decide, grasp, or contemplate on that what matters, or mattering time, thus everything loses significance. And if everything is significant, nothing is significant. Because what is completed or fulfilled undergoes a continual series of substitutions. Here we can find the essential paradox of the modern technological being. Our permanent condition is impermanence. As the present is susceptible to endless transformation and alteration, we can no longer linger, have patience, because we are subject to even valorize endless process and change. Here, we become a world without experiences, amounting to nothing more than an accumulation of successive present moments, each passing each other in rapid succession, which do not leave anything lasting. This leads to that feeling of lightness or evanescence, as I mentioned, because nothing carries any weight or leaves lasting impression. We find it difficult to discern a real sense a pastness oriented towards the future. Really, what Han is talking about is technological nihilism, the idea that nothing can be exceptional, very important, or hold any distinction. Part 2. Free Constraint There is a subtle philosophical point at stake in Han, which is important to grasp if we are to understand his philosophy. Han suggests that what is necessary for having an effective sense of mattering time is negation, or temporal negation. But this sounds a lot like the endless process and change we've just mentioned. Han, however, does not see any temporal negativity at stake in the neoliberal condition. What endless transformation and alteration promulgate is in fact a form of positivity. Real authentic time is a form of negation, or change, the present is negated and open to the past and disposed towards the future, where we can see truthfully how things can be, and indeed might otherwise be than they currently are. The endless change and transformation of the present into an infinity of tasks actually undermines our experience of mattering time. This is non-time for Han. Also, it is non-space. What is at stake here is global homogeneity, where all times and spaces become indistinguishable. What we metaphysically are, now for Han, and this is something that we possibly have not fully cognised yet, is beings of the present, committed to the here and now and nothing else. We don't have the time, is a common expression of late capitalism. This also has spatial consequences attached to the undermining of time. There is an abolition of space. We live in times of lack, a lack of spatial and temporal intervals, Han suggests. We live in times without place and distance, and where all that matters is achievement. The obverse underside of the achievement society is fatigue, burnout, and exhaustion. For Han, everybody's now tired, so tired, all of the time. This tiredness is a byproduct of temporal impoverishment, as we are continually inundated with injunctions towards positivity. This drive to the positive can be found in all walks of life, in wellness influencers, life coaches, managerial resilience workshops, fad dieting, get-rich-quick pyramid schemes, fitness fads, and just the commonplace injunction to be positive or the cheer-up-charlie brigade. We must again be careful. 
I don't think Han is saying don't eat well or don't exercise. That would be stupid. But what he does object to is the culture of ease and positivity that can be attached to those practices. Alongside technological devices, the Achievement Society aims to perpetuate a culture of ease by this fitness tracker, which can make exercise easier. By this desk treadmill, so it is easier to work and exercise at the same time. Follow this diet to burn all those calories so you don't need to take time off work on sick leave. All of these, though, are poor in negativity for Han, because they make life fluid, ethereal, but not grounded in reality. For Han, non-time also implies a lack of otherness. Otherness is effectively disappearing, and thus in Han's words, and I quote, we live in a time that is poor in negativity. In contrast, we enjoy, in inverted commas, time as positivity, and this really leads to pathological effects, where we become seduced by excess positivity. Time as positivity does not distinguish itself in terms of progress even if it seems like progress. Excess positivity manifests itself through an overflow of stimuli, the attention economy, the anticipatory disciplining of behavioural surplus as we saw with Zuboff. Here, our immediate perception becomes fragmented, scattered, dispersed. This is none more typified than in the contemporary fetishization of multitasking. When we say he or she is a great multitasker, what we really are doing is a form of self-harm, or auto-exploitation as Han puts it, where we overvalorize a world that is poor in interruption, in between time as he calls it. Multitasking is also twinned with hyperattention, where our focus and awareness is scattered across tasks, distractions and informational saturation. Technological acceleration abolishes all intervals, all otherness, all forms of negativity, the very possibility of a between. Today, Han suggests we live in a world that is very poor in interruption, in the betweens and the between times, which are not reducible to the order of utility. Acceleration is abolishing all intervals, all waiting, and if we have no intervals, then we have no breaks, gaps, or pause. Above all else, the dirt of time distinguishes the neoliberal order of governance. No time, no waiting, no sense of duration. The lack of duration, more than anything, defines contemporary forms of mass subjectivity. With duration, though, we get continuity. But in the late form of technological production we now inhabit, there is a clear shift, according to Han, from a disciplinary society to the achievement society. The technological expansion of capitalism which the digital age has brought about a new form of social unconscious, the drive to maximise production, efficiency, informational saturation, finds its form in the injunction can rather than should. Here we see Han distance himself a little from Foucault's disciplinary panopticon. With Foucault, coercion came through institutions, the school, the factory, the clinic, the prison, but their coercion was based on social prohibitions. One should not do X, Y or Z. Now, for Han, social coercion comes from the can, as in, yes, I can do this. We can all do this. Yes, we can. Hence, as Han puts it, the achievement subject is far more productive than the obedient subject. Why might this be the case? 
Well, the achievement subject is formed as dysfunctional freedom. Freedom for a hand is not easy. And this, I think, he remains somewhat Kantian. Freedom is not caprice, as in it is not where we can do what we want, when we want. Real freedom actually implies negativity, where we invariably confront limitations which enhance the experience of freedom. Freedom in the Achievement Society is more like a form of effective pathology, or even an effective disorder. The Achievement subject constructs itself in a pseudo-sovereign way, assuming it can do anything or can exist without limitations. This is a compulsive freedom, where compulsion implies both neurosis and obsession. But what does freedom pursue? This freedom pursues the free constraint to maximise its own efficiency or its own achievement. Because humans are starting to define themselves in a unifunctional way, with a diminished understanding of what freedom can be, this means we are in a bit of a paradoxical situation. While Hegel envisioned the optimum form of society required the mutual reciprocity of masterless slaves and slaveless masters, Hand thinks that we have now internalised the exact opposite to this. The master and slave retain their dissymmetry within our own torturous psychic life. This is to say that humans only self-understand themselves as invested in their work, their career, their achievements and their own self-conceptions of that. This might have once been okay where we talk about the idea as a career or as a vocation, but now, for Han, the only horizon of intelligibility available is one where we understand ourselves only in terms of pure utility or economic productiveness. This new form of human subjectivity is purely instrumental. This is to say it lacks any sense of meaningful practice, engagement and connection. In short, we lack a sense of wholeness, perhaps a post-human thought. But one that is concerning for Han is all that we are left with is a self-conception of ourselves as animal workers. This leads to some profound affective disorders. The animal-human thus puts itself on a plane with how animals have been treated by humans for centuries as effectively a source of pleasure or a source of labour power. But what is more concerning for Han is not so much that we are becoming like animals, Rather, it is that we exploit ourselves in the same way that we have exploited animals in the past, and we do it voluntarily. We become, as Han says, our own predator and prey at once. And if you think about this, that is quite a misanthropic thought. Humanity has reached such a stage of its development that we are effectively making ourselves dispensable. The yes-we-can mantra, or the breezy and four-chirpy positivity of a yes-I-can, leads to depression and an auto-paralysis. The no longer being able to be able imposes on us a continuous cycle of self-recrimination, self-reproach and auto-aggression. While Han is sceptical of large-scale collective responses to the Achievement Society, he does think that we can cultivate more meaningful dispositions. One of the most powerful dispositions we can attain is by reanimating our sense of time or having a sense of duration. By remembering the power of temporal negativity, which really is another word for meaningful change, we can introduce resistance into our lives. One place Han thinks this might be cultivated is in the context of memory and narration. A machine or a computer does not really engage in memory. Although we often talk about a computer as having X or Y gigs of memory, which is kind of revealing in and of itself, 
as that which is valuable is only valuable as that which can be counted. This type of memory does not really work in the same way as ours does. For Han, computer memory is additive or subtractive and just carries out operations in the moment without any relation to the past or future. Human memory is distinct because of its capacity for narrative, so recounting, rather than counting, enables us to gain a glimpse of our historical past, present and future as entwined. Narration also retains a sense of contingency rather than determination. Narration retains a sense of mystery by attaching itself to discernment. Computers, for Han, are kind of stupid. They don't really engage in any nuanced judgement. At best they recycle information in efficient or useful ways, but they do not have discernment. And discernment implies a mystery, not necessarily supernatural mystery, but to, to discern presupposes a degree of uncertainty. And computers, unlike humans, or at least uncomputerized humans, do not have the competencies to separate what is essential, what matters, what is significance, from that which is not. Another form of resistance is where individuals and communities can become mindful of activities, doing things. Many of our contemporary problems come from auto-disciplining ourselves into an inability to say no. Instead, we say yes to everything. While I don't think he is overly prescriptive, as in Han does not go around telling us what to do, he does imply that we can de-network ourselves. We can actually do this. We can resist the mechanization of stimuli, or the idea that we self-conceive ourselves as mere stimulus response units. This resistance could be accomplished in a variety of ways. It could be technological abstinence. It could be ceasing to use technological devices altogether de-networking ourselves, so to speak, or it could be by reclaiming communal spaces of ritual and belonging. If we don't, we end up in a continually reactionary state. And by reactionary, I don't necessarily mean we become political reactionaries, although that might happen. Rather, we are continually reactive beings, chasing whatever stimuli technology presents with us, yielding to whatever impulse befalls us. Again, Han, following Heidegger, what can save us is simple enough. Thinking can save us. Thinking takes time. Time requires lingering, deliberating, weighing up possible alternatives, patience. All these are an active form of no to any attempt to turn ourselves into passive beings, open to any transformation whatsoever, which our modern technological societies oppose upon us and which we seem to obey without resistance. If we don't, we face both psychic and social burnout. What Han proposes is quite simple in a way, and we should be careful not to dismiss or disdain simplicity as lacking depth. Simplicity does not preclude profundity. In many senses, I think that is what Han thinks the task of the philosopher is today. Philosophy's task, paradoxically perhaps, is a difficult task of making simplicity manifest. Contemporary technologies lead to hyperactive intensification, one where we obey without resistance all impulses we receive through digital environments, mass communication and information saturation in social media. So the answer to this hyperactivity is activity, or thinking. Any activity which blindly follows impulses, unthinking efficiency or a mechanical course is really poor in activity. 
since it presupposes temporal immediacy, presence, ease of access, frictionless efficiency, rather than real activity, which requires time, effort, delay. This is why computers and smartphones are not really that smart for Han, as he suggests and in his own words. Despite its enormous capacity for calculation, the computer is stupid insofar as it lacks the agility to delay. Such a state of affairs is amplified, of course, by the new media and communications technology. New media and communications technology revealed to us for hand the problem and possible forms of solution. One place where we can find resistance and temporal negation is the concept of otherness. Otherness is defined by alterity, or the otherness of the other, to adopt a formulation from Lithuanian-French philosopher Emmanuel Levinas. The otherness of the other is precisely that which resists my ability to impose my own ease and desires upon the world. It is thus a form of negation or resistance. By focusing on otherness or being for otherness, Han thinks that we can in fact become more real. Contemporary social media and communications technologies dilute this otherness. In effect, they water down our ability to relate to others socially. So conversely, the very act of sharing, communing, gathering is itself a resistance. One might object that there are plenty of places to gather online, but Han thinks that this is a very deficient form of gathering. The virtual world is poor in alterity and resistance. This is because virtual spaces themselves work by immediacy. They function by reducing alterity, reducing interval, reducing gap, reducing space. Put more concretely, they make everything seem like it is happening now, irrespective of the time and space of the real world. And this is what alterity inaugurates in our existence. It inaugurates a sense of time, it inaugurates a sense of place, and it inaugurates a communion. This does not mean bad things can't happen in real life. Of course they can. But our virtual lives compound the problem by obscuring the good that can take place. The achievement subject is a person with an excessive surplus of options. Too many options gives us the illusion of a life without limitations. And if we do not have limitations, why engage in any intensive bonding or communal experience with others when that is something that can be infinitely postponed? Something that can be put off once my immediate gratification has been fulfilled. We're much too busy and important to encounter each other. This is where Han is perhaps at his most Heideggerian. Modern technology, not technology per se, has the capacity to forget reality. Virtual technologies in particular multiply and proliferate our ego self-relation. And if all that we have is our egos, then we're not exposed to the alterity of reality itself. We are quite the opposite. We are pure ego, not exposed to any alterity and resistance. Thus, virtual technology, social media and so on, makes us somewhat pathetic beings. Are we are puny types of gods. All the imaginary environments we find in social media and other virtual spaces makes the real disappear, because the ego can only encounter itself. We do not encounter others in their presence, and with their possibilities and potential contestation and disruption of our self-understanding. This is why for Han, virtual technologies also contribute to the amplification of another pathological disorder, narcissism. Narcissism, as commonly understood, is vanity, self-admiration, or conceit. But really, if we look at narcissism, it is found on weakness rather than strength. 
The narcissist cannot bear to have their self-narration upended. Burnout, then, is a type of narcissistic dysfunction. It comes because the self always answers yes to things it can achieve or might achieve. Burnout, which often anticipates depression, is the consequence of a torrid narcissism, one where we are always cannot help ourselves. We say yes, and are in fact engaging in forms of voluntary self-exploitation. There's a subtle paradox at work here, one melding strength and weakness. We self-conceptualise ourselves as the beings who can achieve anything, who narcissistically think we can be and do anything we want, and why wouldn't we, with all these options available? But at the same time, we are weak, imposing on ourselves the imperative to continually self-transform and reinvent ourselves. Rather, Han wants us to become mindful of reality itself, or he wants us to get real. When we become attuned to temporal negativity, reality itself becomes manifest as a space of possibility, resistance, and a sense that uh, things can be otherwise. In conclusion, Han, I think it is fair to say, is a bit of a techno-pessimist. Technological acceleration gives us a lamentable state of affairs, one which equates to a nihilistic deterioration of culture, values and art. But I don't think this necessarily equates to a form of conservative nostalgia, nor do I think Han is advocating a form of quietism and passivity. Han does not necessarily think that things were better in the past simply because they were in the past. Han is quite attuned to the present, what is happening now, and although immensely challenging, does have an eye towards saving the future. Not necessarily true causes or some political salvation, but simply by letting the future be as future. It is the openness of temporal negation Han attempts to safeguard. In terms of technological acceleration, his criticism of virtual technology, social media, are connected to a critique of neoliberalism and the types of subjectivity it generates, something which we have not fully digested yet. Han does see neoliberalism as a kind of bubble, albeit a not very healthy one kind of like the smog we breathe in our cities. Neoliberalism is there making all of our lives possible, but in a toxic, unnoticed way. For Han, neoliberal subjectivity is grounded on perpetuating the achievement society at all costs. This type of subjectivity attendant to the achievement society are forms of performance-enhancing subjectification, as well as oppressive positivity. The relentless pursuit of positivity engenders some very specific pathological disorders, burnout, narcissism, depression, fatigue, by creating a technological society without resistance. There is a certain weightlessness to our contemporary world. We inhabit a society which strives to smoothness, softness and effortlessness in all things, and this is a society without limits. For the sake of efficiency... Maximal productivity, perpetual achievement, Hans suggests we have forsaken the reality of things in themselves. By worshipping work, tasks, status, we impose upon things a meaning they cannot possibly bear or cannot possibly sustain. People are in turn forced to inhabit a reality without solidity. By being mindful, by just patiently thinking, we can reanimate our sense of memory belonging, duration, or being with others, and there we can find respite from the imperative to reinvent ourselves every single second.